Greetings, Uncle Marv here with another episode of the IT Business Podcast. This is your show for IT professionals and managed service providers, where we try to help you run your network better, smarter, and faster. This is the weekly live show that airs Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern. Tonight, we are streaming on YouTube, the Facebook, and on LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us. Tonight, we have Tim Golden joining us once again, a leading expert in the field of compliance risk. So, Tim, welcome back. How's it going? Hey, Marv. How are you? Thanks for having me back. Uh, you know, it is quite cold here in not-so-sunny, freezing New England. Uh, supposed to have the coldest uh, next couple of days that we've had all winter. But you know what? We live in New Hampshire, so we're kind of used to it. I was going to say, I, I wasn't even going to talk weather, but as you mentioned that, uh, to down here, let's see, I think it was, uh, I'm not going to say a record heat, but we got up to 80 something today. Right now, it is still 76 with a real feel of 80. Wow. I think it's like 12, I don't know, eight something. <laughs> it, yeah, it's fun. It's cold. So. Oh, my. All right. So hello again to those of you that are watching live. I see we've got some folks over from LinkedIn. Eric Anthony in the house. Eric, thank you for tuning in. So uh, Tim was back uh, with us on episode 469. And the title that, of that episode was Policy Documentation as a Service. And for those that do not know, Tim is a leading expert in the field of compliance risk. And uh, hopefully we'll get some insights and experience in navigating the complex world of regulatory compliance and managing risk in the business world. So if you want to go back and hear how that was, uh, go back to episode 469. So Tim, before we get too far along, uh, rather than recap everything we did in that episode, because people will go back and, and listen, is there anything that you thought of afterwards that you said, oh, I should have mentioned that? You know, I always think of like things that I probably could have done better or should have said, you know, the reality of compliance and the risk that businesses face is it's an MSP problem, right? And, you know, I think I did say several times, like, Compliance is a scary word, but it doesn't have to be, right? Think of compliance as sort of the referee of what you're doing in your MSP and how you're helping your clients. And, I mean, yes, we need referees. I mean, not so much with Tom Brady retiring now as of today for the, what, 14th time? Maybe it'll stick. Maybe it won't. But <laughs> he says it's the final time. Yeah, I'll hold my breath. I mean, as a longtime New England Patriots fan, hmm, we'll see. Anyways, the point I was trying to make is that uh, relating compliance to like the referee analogy, I think, is very kind of easy for people to comprehend and understand. Like a referee plays by the rules. Compliance are the rules. We as the MSPs can look at the rule book and have a playbook to be able to help protect our clients, protect ourselves, and mitigate risk and build defensibility. So that was about the only thing about cybersecurity, compliance. Think of it as the referee. And by the way, there's a whole blog post I wrote about this on my website. All right. The referee analogy, I'm sure LeBron James would uh, have something to say about referees as well. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, let me ask this. Last uh, When we last chatted, you were getting ready to do the launch of the polycon yeah. uh, platform and even though it was a kind of a soft beta launch how did how did it go so it's going really great we have a handful of msps and a handful of vcsos been beating up on the platform kind of giving us some really great like pre-release uh feedback uh you know, squash and bugs, like everything else in software development. I've been writing code for 27 years, so I know squash and bugs. Um, so I think it's going well. We're getting a lot of good feedback. Uh, we're making some minor tweaks. Uh, just prior to us talking 20 minutes ago, the devs are ready to push this last release all live. And, you know, Monday morning, we're onboarding clients. So... Hey. Go ahead and click on the Polygon link on our website, sign up, get your early waitlist adopter, and get on the 
get on the train with the rest of us because we're going to offer some good discounts and early early adopter pricing for for everybody here as we start to roll out literally tomorrow and you know onboarding on Monday. All right, very good. And of course, folks, uh, just like the last show that we did, I'll have the links on today's episode that will be in the show notes. And you can go sign up there. And if I remember correctly, Tim, we've got a discount code of Uncle Marv. Yeah. So the discount code. So as I mentioned in our previous version, what was that? 426. Uh, like and subscribe. You'll find it in our previous one a week or so ago. Um, we talked about people, process, policy. And in the people part, we have a peer group where we teach you to fish. And the Uncle Marv discount code will give you 10% off the people part of our three-legged stool, people process policy. So yeah, that coupon code, good today, and sign up, save 10%, all good stuff. All right. Well, this is something that we've not done in quite some time, Tim. Before we get too far into the show, I've got to take a quick break, and we are going to go. My goodness, what's happening? In the news. Oh, wait a minute. So, about this time at the show, I usually will go and dig and try to figure out what is happening out in the tech world that is newsworthy and something that we should let MSPs know about. But of course, I think everybody that is in our neck of the woods in the channel, an MSP vendor, knows that Rob Ray made his announcement this morning. He actually put the announcement on himself. And in the famous words of Jay Parisi, I'm here now, Rob Ray announced as the CVP of Community and Ecosystems at PAX 8. And uh, many of you know that Rob was the longtime face of Datto who's built a reputation as a fierce advocate for MSPs. And in the words of LeBron James, he is taking his channel talents to Denver. So he is now going to be at PAX 8. I think that was probably uh, one of the worst kept secrets. (laughs) Uh, Oh my gosh, I did not see that coming. Like really, (laughs) Rob Ray, PAX 8, amazing. Yep. Uh, so that is the news, and uh, I'll have links to the stories out there, folks. If you if you haven't heard, you can go read about it. And just uh, for the listeners that have been waiting to see if Rob is going to come and be a guest on the IT Business Podcast, I have this that I can announce. My people are talking to his people. So it is in the works, and hopefully very soon, the... Larger than life, Rob T. Ray should be on screen here with us here on the IT Business Podcast. We'll see when that happens, but I will say my people are talking to his people. So that's a step. I got a guy that knows a guy that can talk to a guy and book a thing. So, Rob, make it happen. Yep. We'll see how many shows he does before mine, but (laughs) we'll see if he's here. Now, Tim, we should also go back and let people know. So you're still an MSP as well as running compliance risk. So let me ask what your thoughts are on hearing this announcement of Rob going to PAX 8. All right. (laughs) Flip the hat. (laughs) So, you know, PAX 8 has been a great, uh, a great partner in the community for us here as MSP vendors, as MSPs, as a vendor. Um, they've been able to bring a lot of good pieces. Um, I've been with them for years, um, pretty much since they started. I won't get into all that gory detail. I think them bringing Rob on really shows their commitment to MSPs, right? Knowing Rob, knowing what he has done at the in the other communities, in the other platform, in the other stuff. We won't talk about Big Bad Gazea, but knowing what Rob has done in the community, knowing how he just has that energy and what he brings to that, I think it's going to be a really good thing for MSPs. Um, Having that, you know, channel and that, you know, community and stuff behind him, I think it's just going to be really good, right? Working with Paxi as I have for years, there's like bringing, them bringing on Matt Lee was a great thing them bringing on robbery is a great thing like seeing what they've been doing in the last 
24 months or less has been really good from an MSP perspective to, to just see like, yeah, they are starting to get us. They're starting to understand how we, how we operate and they're bringing in the right people and partners so that we as MSPs can succeed. Yep. I totally agree. And full disclosure, I am a PAX8 partner, but I haven't bought anything with PAX8. <laughs> so, so full disclosure, Vital Tech Services, my MSP, is a PAX8 partner. ComplianceRisk.io is a PAX8 partner. Okay. <laughs> I'm in there double duty. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I shall obviously be taking a closer look at uh, what PAX8 has to offer over the next few months. But, you know, listen, it is good for the community. Uh, it shows PAX8's commitment to growth and to what you said to uh, being closer to the MSP. I, I think that's really it. Being able to under, understand us, our needs and our wants and truly helping us to grow. And when we grow, they grow, right? Absolutely. All right. So now that we got the big news out the way. Wait a minute. Is this like a Letterman wimp? kind of like when is he coming on here right like, I, you know i'm gonna keep doing okay. yes i'm gonna be exactly the, the same way that dave letterman was and oh, i'm oh, gonna sit here wait, you want to say hi to rob <laughs> yeah <laughs> just kidding <laughs> uh i might see rob tomorrow night but i can't disclose when or where because we know nothing about what happens in the windy cities it's the secret of fight club you can't talk about it <laughs> Uh, so let's get back to you and your company, the compliance risk, and probably we should probably just go back and recap what exactly compliance risk is and why is it important for us to manage it? Sure. So us as a company, I talked a little bit about this before, our core values, right? Accountability, care, and trust and who we are as a company. We are accountable to our own actions, but also helping our clients and MSPs be accountable for them and their clients. Uh, care, we care for you like I would care for my mom. You're equally important in the sense that I would treat you like I would treat my mom or my wife or my daughters. And trust, at the end of the day, all we have left is our integrity and trusting in ourselves and, trusting, and empower you to trust in yourself so that you can help your clients. That's who we are as a company. Now, what services we have to offer, and I just mentioned this a few minutes ago, people, process, policy. People, we teach you to fish by offering a peer group where you can come and join like-minded individuals and have the hard conversations in a closed atmosphere where it's safe to ask the questions that you don't want to post on Reddit and get spammed. <laughs> so the people, the people part of the peer group, we teach you to fish. Process, I mean, we talk about this all the time. Having documented, repeatable processes makes you operationally efficient, gives you the tools and technologies to make your business better, more efficient, and make your clients better and more efficient. We partner alongside you in the compliance realm to fill the gaps to help you build a solid compliance program. We fish with you. And now, launching Polygon is our policy. Uh, documentation platform as a service, being able to provide a safe and secure SaaS-based multi-tenant application where you and your clients can have one central repository of a complete policy governance program from alignment in writing to authorization, getting somebody to approve it, to actually training and adopting with end users an assessment and reviewing these things, all of that in a SaaS-based automated way for you to help your clients. Where that comes into play is things like this new FTC safeguard rule, where this stuff starts to apply to you and can probably apply to even more broad of your clients going down the road. If you have a client that offers financing, chances are this FTC safeguard rule can apply which means you might need a solid policy governance program in place. People, we teach you to fish. Process, we fish with you. Policy, we bring the tackle box. So 
on the last show, we went a little deeper into that and talked about all the things that we need and the steps and stuff. So let's flip this a little bit and talk about what might be the risks of not doing this. I mean, we think of it uh, from a perspective of getting our clients on board and they have to do it because of either HIPAA, FINRA, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't address the stuff that we need to do in the way we need to manage it. So let's first talk about what's the risk of not doing it? Yeah. So the risk of not doing it, there's a couple of pieces, right? So employees can go rogue. They don't, they aren't necessarily governed, right? So a good friend of ours, uh, John over at Sasslio, he built Sasslio to help find SaaS-based applications or shadow IT. Great. Awesome tool. Good friend. Go check them out. However, if we had a policy in place that talked about not installing or signing up for stuff and having a governance policy, when they did sign up for things, we would have a a procedure, a process in place to help guide that user. When you don't have these things, I mean, I talked to a customer a couple of weeks ago on on our MSP side. They had five CRM platforms, five. They signed up for one, used it for 30 days. Then they signed up for another, used it for their free 30 days. Then they like, I'm like literally five different set because they had no policy and no procedure around governing that. That was just one little company in one little instance. So part of the risk of not having it is things like shadow IT can happen. Things like uh, employees not knowing what to do in case of an incident. Right. One of the things we build under our MSP for every one of our clients is a who to call checklist. And we make sure every employee from onboarding and quarterly reminders of here's who to call when something happens. The Internet's out in the office. Call the IT company, call Verizon. Phone isn't working. Call AT. Like having just a who to call checklist as part of your policy governance can eliminate a lot of the headaches and a lot of the business challenges and risks that they face without even knowing it. So having that checklist sounds like it could, you know, obviously force people to put together, you know, clarity and direction. Uh, And it can take out the poor decision-making. Yeah. If you follow the checklist, you don't have to worry about making the wrong decision, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does help with poor decision making, you know, and and checklists are very important, right? Checklists are like the second part of a policy governance. So you have a policy that defines the, the who and the what, and then the checklist or the standard operating procedure, SOP, that checklist is the how, right? And they kind of go hand in hand. Sometimes documentation mesh the two of those things together, and sometimes they're completely separate documents. I love checklists when and where appropriate. Okay. Now, one of the things that work with an incident response plan is, at least from my experience, is you have to put, you know, if this happens, this person is responsible for this, this person is responsible for that, contact this. But I don't think in all of my processes, and I'll just be honest, I don't think we have that throughout the entire process. Now, from what I understand, you guys can help with is you're going to provide that every step of the way. Is that, am I correct in thinking that? So yes and no, right? So one of the big pieces of a policy governance program is the alignment piece and aligning that documentation to actual business processes in place. And, you know, this is why, you know, having a solid program in place is important because it's iterative and using a tool like Polygon helps you to iterate through that. So your question to answer specifically, you have an IR plan. It's got six of the 12 steps defined. You haven't flushed out the other six steps yet. You plan to. So great. You publish as is because this is what exists today. Right. And you note that this is a living, breathing document where changes do come, right? So where does Polygon help with that? 
making sure that you're following through the process, right? And specifically with an IR plan, we're going to help you manage that workflow of this is the version we have today. These are the, what the end users have been trained on today. And a month from now, when we change that, we can push it back out to the end users. And three months from now, when we when we build our defensibility and we continue to build our security posture, those documents continue to align with our practices in place. So basically helping to create the process, manage the process, can it help enforce the process? So where we're heading with the product is, do I let cats out of the bat? Is Hey, it's a business podcast. You heard it here first. So where we'd like to head with this is you have a documentation program in place saying, this is what we do. The CEO has authorized it. The end users have been trained on it. Polygon can manage all of that. Phase two down the road, now prove it. I have a list of around 15 or so API integrations that we'll be pulling into other platforms where it's, I'll give you an example. Here is our vulnerability management plan and our SOP for vulnerability management. That is all managed in Polygon. And we've done that whole governance process. Now insert Qualys or Nessus or all the other vulnerability scanning tools that might exist in the market space. I won't mention any, but you could probably pull a few specific MSP ones. (laughs) Now I run, I don't know, some vulnerability scanning tool. I have a policy and a process, and the tool is now proving what we're doing. Now, is that a proof beyond just a report? Because I know that... We've got products that will run. The report prints. That's our proof. We download it and stick it in a folder and all of that stuff. But there's there's not there's not a sign off per se. So so we do have. So let me go back just to the policy piece. Okay. One of the phases, the authorization phase, where we as the MSP present the policy on the SaaS app. They get an email notification, log into the platform, they come to the SaaS app, and they get a notification saying, sign off and authorize this policy. So there's a signature piece there, right? You know, and Adobe and all the others have gone through the whole legality of e-signatures. If Adobe can get away with it and DocuSign and Dropbox and everybody else, we can too. We're talking to our lawyers. That's good. So CEOs can do, we authorize this policy. When it goes to the end user, same thing. End user signs off that they adopted that policy, right? So that's the first phase of what we built. Where we're going is now I have an automated tool that is proving we have vulnerability management in place. And because depending on the tool, we are mitigating low, medium, high and can prove back to the aligning to the policy. And the plan is to API those pieces together to say, our policy defines critical vulnerabilities mitigated in 24 hours. Now I have the tool that says I have a critical vulnerability and 24 hours later, it's still there. Okay, we just broke the cycle. Something needs to happen. Either the policy needs to change, the process for managing those vulnerability needs to change, and users need to be retrained. Something needs to happen because this is what we said we do, and this is exactly what was or wasn't done, and they don't align. Something at that point needs to happen. Okay. So that's where we're headed. (laughs) All right. Now, one of the questions that I got after our last show is... Some MSPs just basically won't go near compliance just because, one, it's hard, or two, they can't scale, uh, you know, because they know that they need to put more, you know, people (laughs) in the process and stuff. So part of me thinks that, you know, compliance as a service, along with Polygon, can make it easy to scale because, 
if you do it right and you have all of your 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 templates and your checklist and your authorization stuff, it's pretty much I don't want to say click and go, but it sounds that way. Yeah, you know, I wish it was that easy. And <laughs> and, and in time, compliance risk will make it that easy. So <clears throat> that buzzword, compliance as a service, is being tossed around all over the place. It's yeah. like saying MSP, MSSP, ITSP, like buzzwords are really great for marketing people. Um, yes, we list that on our website. Why? Because SEO is a thing. <laughs> but the real reality is there's a lot of differentiation between what compliance as a service actually is and what's included in this thing, this CAS thing. Right. Some people might look at CAS as we do awareness training, we do dark web scan, and we do phishing. But wait, isn't that a security awareness training partner or most of those? No, no, that's our compliance as a service. Okay. That hasn't like that's one small piece of compliance. Like in the controls, security awareness training is three controls, one with two subparts. <laughs> compliance as a service as we see it is working alongside the MSP and looking at the specific regulatory and legal requirements those clients are bound to adhere to. CMMC is the easiest example. DOD contractors at some point in the near future will have to adhere to these CMMC standard, uh, the 800-171-172 standards, DFARS clauses, and CMMC is the program to help manage that. A lot of MSPs get scared. They see, wow, I can make a lot of money on CMMC. But as they start to dig into it, they realize they don't have the people, they don't have the process, and they don't have the bench strength. Right. Insert compliance risk in any one of our CMMC experts to partner with you in the three-legged stool where it's your client needing a thing, you as the technical implementer, and compliance risk making up that base, and our Compliance triad, not to be confused with the CIA triad, that three-legged stool, we can help partner with you and and ease some of that burden. All right. So you went ahead and mentioned CMMC because I was going to ask you all the different compliances because you've got the CMMC, you've got NIST, you've got CIS, you've got FINRA, did I say HIPAA, GDRP? I mean, there's all of them. And Sometimes we don't know which one to follow. So are you able to keep up with all of those or are you doing just MSP-specific ones? So this is the great debate. What framework? (laughs) Right? So my first response to always what framework is, what are you legally and regulatory bound to? If you're not working with DOD, contractors, CMC is probably not your jam. If you're not working with doctors, offices, and whatnot, HIPAA is probably not your thing. However, there's this program called NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technologies. They have this catalog called Special Publication 800-53, and there's over a thousand controls in there. When you look at the global compliance stuff, SOC, HIPAA, ISO, relatively speaking. When you look at all the acronyms in the space, a lot of them are based on the NIST controls. So do I suggest NIST and the NIST framework? It's a good starting point. However, CIS, the Center for Internet Security, has introduced their new revised uh, program with multiple different implementation groups. Used to be called, uh, what, the the top 20, the top 18, I forget what it was called. Now it doesn't matter. Um, CIS has a great program and it's iterative and it's obtainable, but I would take it one step further, specifically for an MSP. And I would take it to CompTIA. CompTIA has recently rolled out their Trustmark program. Trustmark program is a way for MSPs to gain, I hate to say a badge, but yes, a badge, bragging rights, all the good stuff of CompTIA, this global entity in the IT space 
now walks us through this thing. And as I like to say, gives us the stamp of approval, right? So if I was an MSP starting out and trying to say, where should I go in picking a framework and how do I do this? I would probably start with the CompTIA Trustmark program after looking at my individual um, legal requirements. Very interesting. Now, I'm going to go back a step because we're focusing now on all of the things that are happening today. And in our world, the insurance companies are the Uh, ones kind of pushing everything. mm -hmm. So let me ask you in your opinion, and I didn't prep you for this. And so if you can't answer or don't want to, you don't have to, but what do you think has happened in the landscape over the last couple of years that has forced us now to deal with a lot of this, this changing stuff. Yeah. So I'm not an insurance broker. I just pretend to be one so I can make the commitment. I'm kidding. Um, So I do have friends that work in this space. Uh, Good, good buddies, Wes and Dustin, those people in, in, in Reed, all those people over at fifth wall. If you don't know them, go check them out. Um, Lots of good people in the space that I've had lots of conversation around the insurance market and how it relates to compliance. Here's the thing. Insurance data. That's all about a four-letter word. You know what that word is? Risk. It's in my name. (laughs) Right? Exactly. And so, you know, what's happened, and I don't want to go down too much of the insurance world, but what's happened is, you know, they put policy out really knowing the ramifications of when the poop hits the fan and paying out and losing lots of money. And so now they're wising up and they're putting out things like you need to have MFA and backups and training and, you know, these five things like that's where it sits today, where it's going to go is do you actually have a security awareness training policy in place? And do you let your users know what that is. Do you actually have a backup and disaster recovery plan and policy? And is that policy and plan managed on a regular basis and updated? Like today, I don't want to get into all the like legislative things. <laughs> and like, yeah, right now, the insurance industry is starting to drive a lot of the compliance stuff because they're the ones taking the financial hit. Right. Plain and simple, they're taking the hit. So they're looking at this as an opportunity to like raise awareness and ultimately raise the small businesses, raise my next door neighbor's donut shop, you know, raise their security to protect themselves, protect us, protect our nation. Like how many years, like decades ago, it was all about privacy and identity theft was all over everywhere. Right. We'd hear, and, and now we don't hear about that as much. Why? Because we educated the population on the risks that they faced. Same thing with with cyber risk now. Right. Building the awareness, building and, and insurance is driving that. And not only did they take the risk, but they're looking to shift that back to us. Great, great point. Right. So. You know, obviously risk is, is, is when and where appropriate that you can offload some of that risk. I mean, it's good business practice for insurances, right? Like when they, when they look at the, you know, the, the 27 something year old person that's starting a family and, you know, works from home, or they look at the, you know, reckless 17 year old with a Ferrari, like they are completely different risk baskets, right? Well, in the cyberspace, they don't have that data yet. But as we continue to build our defensibility and our education around protecting our businesses, they're going to start to get that data right now. And rates are through the roof and they're going to continue to get stay through the roof because they've taken the hits. Yep. So let me explain to the audience why I felt comfortable asking you these questions, even though compliance risk, the company hasn't been around for a while. You yourself 
have mm-hmm. been in compliance for 20, how many seven, years? Seven, 2006-ish. Okay. 17, I don't know. Depends on when this is airing. So we'll just say, we'll just stick with 2005, 2006. You can do the math. All right. And, and you not just on a little SMB level, like most of us, you were dealing with, you know, government stuff and yeah. you know, real where it really matters. I would say it matters. I mean, it matters everywhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, it matters at the feds, the feds dictate a lot of this stuff. And like I mentioned before, NIST 853. Um, you probably maybe heard this term FedRAMP before, right? So yeah. FedRAMP is another federal program, uh, similar but different, but similar but different than CMMC. It's been around for a long time. Um, and it basically is a similar type of process where you have a list of controls and you're assessed against those controls and you continue to you know build your posture and defensibility against those controls. And so... Yeah, we got a little contract back in 2006 that had one sentence that said, you will adhere to NIST 853. What? You couldn't even yeah. Google 853 back in 2006. And nobody knew how many pages 853 was. Oh, I do. It's literally sitting right there in a... In a wheelbarrow? Seven-inch seven binder, four of them. <laughs> I should I should have given you that picture. I, had a, I took a picture when I was in the, my office not too long ago of all the binders that I had. <clears throat> so we had somebody in the chat on the LinkedIn and because of the way stream already is, I could not see the name of this person, but they, when you were talking about, you know, raising the neighbor, that person wrote, raise the security poverty line. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. I think that was my good friend, Shanna. So yeah. hello, Shanna. Thanks for hanging out and watching. Hey, Shanna. How are you? Thanks for joining. Raising the security poverty line is really great. You know, when I think about that, I think, I think technical debt, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's a cost to doing security, right? There's a cost to protecting your business, but there's also a cost to not doing it, right? There's all these calculators. You can figure it out. And really you as the business owner need to calculate not doing this could cost me blah and don't be fooled. It's not if it's when, and I say this from the heart because there's a local veterinary clinic here that got hit on a July 4th weekend of a thing. I won't get into the details, but you could do the math and it, I mean, they lost 30 years of a family business like that. No backups, no nothing gone, gone. They, so it's not a matter of of if it will it's when and you're never too small. And now with things like chat GPT and you know AI code generators like you know ransomware as a service is a thing. Yeah. yeah. We're not even going to get into that. That's uh yeah, that's another episode. It is and it's it's going to be a big one. So let me ask even though we talked about you let the cat out of the bag about what you're hoping to to do and accomplish. Is there anything out there on the horizon that you think that we in the channel uh, should be taking note of? So I'm. Hmm. You mean from a compliance perspective? Yeah, just in the way that we have to. I mean, I think we're starting to understand we have to do it, and we're trying to figure out what that is the thing we have to do. Uh, You guys are doing a pretty good job of outlining a lot of that for us. But do you see like something coming that we, you know, as an MSP, as an IT provider, we may not be aware of, but you might be aware of um, other than the insurance companies shifting their risk. So, yeah. All right. So I'll back up, you know, probably, 12, 18 plus months, there are a couple of executive orders out there, uh, a couple of uh, things in Congress, like there is actually a definition now on the books in, in, you know, in front of Congress and in one of the new uh, um, pieces of legislation they're pushing forward that actually defines an MSP, Uh right? CSP, cloud service provider has 
kind of been there for a, a you know a fairly long period of time, but now they actually are using and have and I you can I'll put it link someplace chat. I'll maybe I'll do a blog post about it. Um, but the term MSP is in the words actually in in one of our government contract it actually spells out in a couple of paragraphs managed service provider IT service provider that organization in which is providing services to your organization are specifically called out mm-hmm. and potentially applying downstream FedRAMP controls. So how does that apply to the MSP? There's this thing in the compliance world called shared responsibility matrix. That's a whole nother episode. However, shared responsibility in a nutshell is These are the things we do, and these are the things we don't do, and these are the things we're responsible for, and these are the things we're not responsible for, and these are the things you're responsible for. So outlining explicitly what we do and what we don't do, who's responsible and not responsible, that whole shared responsibility piece, I can foresee that coming down the road as being as probably important as documentation, right? So we're going to be building in some kind of way for you to manage an SRM, shared responsibility matrix, inside of Polygon in the coming phases. Um, Because it all boils back to who's the risk, and if I can transfer or defer that risk or accept or inherit that risk, shared responsibilities can do that. Well, I, I can see that because the insurance applications are starting to ask, who is your managed service provider? Oh, yeah. They're literally asking that and naming, you know, whoever it is. And for my clients, they obviously forward that form to me and say, so your name's on this. Can you please fill out the rest? Oh, yeah. And Great. everything that everything that we fill out, I tell them, I said, if I fill this out, I'm responsible for which means you're going to need to pay me for. Yep. And then and then the the jousting begins. Yeah, it does. You know, and you know, we see a lot of those uh, a lot of those forms come across our desk. I mean, I, I don't want to brag. Our MSP is pretty solid. We've got a solid offering together. I mean, find another MSP that can say they're FedRAMP moderate. By the way, we're going through our audit on March 1st, so wish me well. <laughs> oh. Yeah, with uh, so the whole ATO audit process, looking at all the controls, ripping us apart, putting us back together, it'll be fun. Um, however, um, we get a lot of those. And, you know, we're pretty used to most of the questions that they ask. And we feel like we're, we've got a lot of those things fairly well covered um, in, in, at Vital Tech Services. And when we get them, I can look at them and be like, yes, 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 no, 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 yes, 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 no. However, in the no boxes, it does strike a conversation with the customer. For example, uh, SIM, log, log collection and retention and management. A lot of people don't want to pay for it. Right. They, it's not cheap. Like, there's great, there's free things, but... It's like dealing with a SIM and a SOC and a 24-7, like it's not cheap. And most people won't do it. All of our clients, we have, we're using log ingestion. We have, you know, tools to manage, you know, uh, SOC type things, um, an operation center, right? So not SOC 2 as in the compliance. <laughs> um, I, so I we're, we're good, but the cli- there's a few clients that, we don't, and it doesn't make good business sense for them to have it. And when they get the thing, I answer no. Yeah. Yeah. We have a couple of clients that are right at the border where we may have to do that for, for a couple. We're, you know, trying to figure out where to put all the logs you know, yeah. and who's going to watch them and monitor. So, yeah, we're, I get you. Yeah. There's tools to help with that. Um, obviously, I don't ever buy a tool unless I have the people, the person, the champion to deal with it. And then the process of how it's dealt with. I'll back up the little MSP advice. We are tool happy. If you look at my desk and you like, I'm sitting here fidgeting with one of my 
fuck knives. I like them. We're, we love tools. Woo, shiny object. Gadgets. Gadgets, right? We don't need no things. No. Gadgets. Um, go, go, go. So one of the things that I've always tried to do at our MSP is put together like, great, I know I need a tool and I know a tool can make me more efficient, but I need the person. That's probably me. It's maybe my tech. Maybe it's somebody in one of the other business units, right? We need a champion to take this thing on and be the point person, people. And then we need the process. Like, how do we do this? Like, I can't remember 20 years ago, WebEx first came out. Woohoo, WebEx, right? Yeah. We literally wrote up complete SOPs, soup to nuts on how to build a and host a WebEx meeting, everything from PowerPoints to slides to a whole nine yards. Like Zoom wasn't even a platform. StreamYard didn't exist, right? We had the champion, we had the process, and now we needed a way to deliver. Well, WebEx was the only tool back then, so that's what we did. We refined our product, our process to fit the tool. But right now, with the plethora of things that exist, we define our requirements first. We find the champion to support that requirements. We build a, pro- a loose process around that. And then we go on the hunt for tools. Nice. This is why I built Polygon was because a tool did not exist or the ones that did exist didn't fit the requirements or the process pieces that we wanted to do. And, and that's why Polygon exists. All right. Sweet. Well, folks, you have heard a, I was going to say buttload, but that doesn't sound right. Oh, I can talk about this stuff for eons. It's nice polished show. Let me get the link to to your company here, folks. Uh, Compliancerisk.io. I've just thrown it in the chat. So if you are watching the live stream, you can see it there. And if you're watching the video, it is on the screen, compliancerisk.io. That is where you can go and learn more about Tim Golden, Compliance Risk, Polygon, Compliance as a Service, all of that stuff. And I guess I can't can't delete that chat. What did you do? Navigation, Bubba? (laughs) Hopefully that doesn't show up. Hopefully I deleted it. Was that a was that a ticket request you put in there? That was a ticket request. <laughs> all right, Tim. Uh, thanks for going through all that information. Let me ask. Um, normally, I, you know, I'm the one asking all the questions. So now I'm going to uh, turn around and ask. Do you have any questions of me? Um, I'm not a compliance expert, but I may have an answer. So, what are you drinking? Oh, this is my this is my pineapple juice for my throat nice i got my pepsi so one of the questions i love to ask like new people or people i haven't met before is if you could spend the day or have dinner or lunch with any one human in the entire course of history who would it be and michael why? jordan and why There is something about Michael Jordan that I identify with as a sports person. I did play basketball growing up. I played football. And there was something about Michael Jordan who, you know, even though he turned out to be, in my opinion, the greatest basketball player ever, although LeBron, you know, people will argue that, but listen. For my generation, my time, he was somebody that, yes, he became an icon. Yes, he became this, you know, bigger than life figure, but it was, it was the work behind that learning and hearing about how hard he worked because he wasn't the best coming out of high school. He, you know, I don't know how true the story is or isn't about him being cut from his high school team. Uh, He wasn't the first person picked in the draft. He wasn't the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, but every step along the way in his career, he worked to make himself better, even though he was already considered the greatest basketball player that year Mm -hmm. and for those years before he won. But 
uh, hearing how he, you know, would hear somebody say, well, you know, you can't play defense. So he turned around and worked and became defensive player of the year. You know, oh, well, you can't do this. It was just that process. So it was the fact of, you know, he didn't take it for granted how good he was. Gotcha. He kept working. And hearing people now, when I hear some of the stories about people saying that his footwork was so polished, he didn't waste energy in his feet. And you're thinking, okay, that's a little much. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, it doesn't always sit well with other people, but a lot of my life and analogies go back to sports because that's what I grew up with. Yeah, and, I can relate in, in in some levels. Football's my jam. Beyond that, I don't really watch a lot of sports. Um, when 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 the Patriots lose and they're out of the season, my, I get my my wife gets me back on Sundays. <laughs> wow. So, um, but yeah, that's really great. You know, I think, I think I don't want to use the word like having a hero or having that person. Like, it's just always a good conversation starter, like who and why? Because, you know, I, (laughs) where am I going to go with this? So I usually spend a lot of time, uh, or I'll just be open and honest. So, uh, for, for health reasons and personal reasons, um, I gave up alcohol, uh, says the guy that was going to start his own brewery and distillery. So there's a long story there. Um, but prior to that, I would spend a lot of time hanging out with my friends at the brewery. In fact, I would leave work and I would spend many afternoons working from the brewery or the tasting room or something. And I would always meet interesting people that would sit next to me as I'm working. And I would always try to like, I get beyond the, who are you? What do you do for work? Where do you live? Like, that's like, that's good information to like have a like conversation. But for me, and I think I said this in the very beginning, like relationships are extremely important to me. Building those foundations are extremely important to me. What you do eight to five sort of defines who you are, but is not who you are as a human. In fact, who would you have lunch with and why? Well, tell me more about who you are as a human. Like you're passionate about the drive that he had, right? To get to in the adversity that he had to overcome, right? To get to where he was to be this great basketball player, right? That tells me a lot about you as a person. That tells me that... You're driven, like that passion for stuff that you see in that, like, it just tells me more about you than what do you do for work? And that's kind of who I am as a person, like trying to dig a little deeper out of the gate. It comes off scary sometimes when I meet people, but <laughs> <laughs> a little creepy, maybe No. Yeah. But, you know, another good one is like if you were trapped on a desert island for a week, would you bring with you and why? Yep. I've heard some of those. So let me tell you what this has done, Tim. Okay. This has gotten you out of the Florida man challenge Ah. and the random question challenge. Oh, okay. Because I'm just going to basically turn the question back on you and I'm sure you've answered it before. I have not heard it on another podcast, so I've not heard you say it, even though you may have done it publicly before. But if you could meet one person in the world, who would it be? So there's a a period, there's two periods in time that I really wish I, maybe in a past life, I lived. One of those periods is during the Roman Empire gladiator type days, where I would love to be in that part of that Spartacus stuff. But more recent, like, history, like, you know, the, the 1800s, the, the Lincoln era, right? So, so there's a period. So Lincoln would be the guy. Okay. Right. But his successor would also be the next guy. Cause those 24 months, like those two to three years of leading up to his assassination. And then just after that, I think really shaped a big portion of our future. 
company. I think Lincoln was a fascinating man. I've done a lot of research on him. I've read a lot, a lot of podcasts, a lot of books, a lot of stuff on him. Um, pick the Getty, Gettysburg Address. Like what he was able to say in such short amount of words was powerful, right? Love him or hate him. You know, all the things that were good and bad, I just, I wanted to be able to learn from that kind of individual that can take 20 words and impact lives forever or 50 words or a hundred words. Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like I do Gettysburg address. Um, I could ramble on, I mean, I'll, like whatever, it doesn't matter. I think Lincoln is really fascinating to me. So it's funny you should say it like that because there are times where the wife and I will be watching TV and we'll stumble across a lot of these. They're not documentaries, but they're those little mini series that they, you know, and, you know, they had, I think it's around 2010 or whatever. They were doing the ones on Ben Franklin and and getting a feel for what may have been going on in their minds in these pivotal moments in time. And so I do myself find my, you know, start to look at, I want to know what was happening here as it relates to this moment in time. So it sounds like you do a lot of the same thing. I do. So there's a great podcast on Wondery called 1865 Uh that literally starts with the gunshot of Lincoln's death and goes to the weeks and months and years after that. And it's fascinating to me. Like, you don't, like, if you didn't listen to this, we're not taught that stuff in school. Like, unless you're researching or looking at it, like, seeing what, you know, Edward Stanton did, seeing what, you know, um, John, like, I'll give you a little tidbit. Do you know that John Wilkes Booth was engaged to marry Todd Lincoln? I think I had heard that. Like, they don't teach you that in school. No, they do not. Right. So, and, then, and then all the stuff with Andrew Jackson afterwards. It's just fascinating to me. Like, wait a minute. The guy that shot the president was engaged to the girl. Like, what? <laughs> we are going to have to continue this conversation because I think I have another platform that I'd like you to be a part of to continue this discussion. But for now, let's go ahead and end off the techie part of the show for those that were watching the IT Business Podcast here on YouTube, the Facebook, and LinkedIn. i like to thank you for hanging out. And uh, nice to see some of the people that uh, jumped in the chat. And we didn't get a chance to ask you guys if you had questions because we did all the talking ourselves. But we will be staying past for a post-show. So if, uh, if you're watching the live now, stay past and uh, hang out with us. Tim, I should probably let you go ahead and talk about where you're going to be February 22nd through the 24th. Yeah. So right of boom, uh, our first conference as a vendor. I'm very excited, very nervous. So please come see me. We have swag and we have, and we have a giveaway and we have candy and we have all kinds of fun stuff. So right of boom, uh, the end of February, if you haven't already bought your ticket, you may be too late. Um, we're also going to be at MSP Geek Con coming up in May. Those tickets are still available. I will drop that link in chat. MSP Geek Con. Go sign up before the tickets run out because you want to be there. All right. So, right of boom. February 20th. That is at, uh, oh, the Gaylord Texan. Yep. Is where it will be. So rightofboom.com and see if there are tickets left for that. And you can go see Tim and uh, chat with him about compliance risk and Polygon. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Tim, thank you very much. And uh, hang out with us here past the video and we'll finish off. For those of you listening, thank you very much. For all things related to this podcast and others, head over to itbusinesspodcast.com where you can download previous episodes, of course, 469 policy documentation as a service. And probably by the next time you hear me, I might be talking to the one, the only Rob T. Ray, who has announced himself as the 
channel person over at PAX 8. Rob, you're on the clock. Everyone else, thanks for hanging out, and we'll be back with another episode soon. And until then, holla. 